think I am? The son of God. Well, for the past two weeks, we have been studying about this amazing miracle that we read about in Matthew chapter 14, this thing that took place on that stormy night on the Sea of Galilee, like the movie clip that we just watched, I thought so perfectly depicted that moment. If you've been with us these last couple of weeks and you know the context of that whole moment, Jesus had just done this other miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, where, where he started with just a few loaves of bread and fish and fed all these people. And at the end of that day, Jesus sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowd and he retreated to the mountainside to pray. And at some point in the middle of the night, this storm comes across the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were several miles offshore and, and, and they were fighting the wind and the waves and, and, and the storm had grown dangerous. It had actually become quite a terrifying situation. And in the middle of that storm, Jesus comes walking out to them on top of the water. It's a miracle. This is a miracle in the Bible. Yes, walking on top of the water doesn't happen outside of something miraculous. That's why I say it's one of the most miraculous moments that you, you read anywhere in the Bible. And the disciples thought it was a ghost, but then Jesus said, no, take courage in his eye, don't be afraid. And that's where the next part gets very interesting. If you got your Bibles open, Matthew 14, look at verse 28, what happens next? Lord, if it's you, Peter said. And we know a very literal reading of that is, Lord, since it's you, since it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, this moment right here, we look at it, and, and, and people tend to look at this moment in Matthew 14, Peter on the water, through really one of two lenses. The first lens would be people come to this and they look at it through what we'll just call the lens of triumph. They see it through that lens. They see this as perhaps Peter's greatest moment maybe. Here he is walking out on water, this uh, exhibition of great trust. Nobody else would get out of the boat. Very triumphant moment. Some people look at it that way. Others approach this text and they see it through a different set of lenses. They see this through the lens of failure. They tend to see this as one of Peter's, you know, worst moments. This moment that could have been great, but he was overcome with fear. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he sank. And on top of that, Jesus had to step in and rescue him. Now, I don't know which lens you happen to look through. If you see this through more of a triumphant moment or a moment of failure. But I can tell you kind of how I see this moment in the Bible. I see it as a little bit of both. It's, it's some triumph. And it's some failure all wrapped up into one moment. And in that, I think it becomes one of the most applicable, relatable moments in the entire Bible. Because isn't that how our life is at times? Triumphs and failures all wrapped up sometimes in the very same moment. I, I see both. And I see this as Peter being very relatable. I can relate to this, And perhaps your own walk with Jesus can relate to this moment. You might be saying, you know what? There are times in my life, there are times that my walk with Jesus is so fired up and so strong, it feels like I'm out there with Jesus on the water. This level of trust and faith. 
And then if we're being honest, we might say there are those times when my walk with Jesus feels more like the moment Peter sank into the water. My arms are flailing, my legs are kicking, and I'm grasping for air just trying to keep my head above water. I think if we're being honest, our walk with Jesus, you could say, is probably a road that's got lots of marks on it. Marks of triumph and marks of failure. And we, if we took the time, could probably catalog those failures and those triumphs if we really wanted to. But let me ask a question. What happened to Peter on that stormy night? I mean, what specifically happened to Peter on the Sea of Galilee? We already know what went right. He had great faith and trust. He stepped down on water and took a few steps towards Jesus. That's the triumph part. But what went wrong? Look at verse 30 again. Verse 30 tells us exactly what went wrong. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. What went wrong? The Bible says Peter saw the wind. By that it means Peter saw the effects of the wind because nobody can see the wind, but we see what the wind does. And what was the wind doing? Peter could see the wind and it was blowing against the boat. The boat was going up and down. The sail, if they had one, it was called tattered and, and, and he could see that. My guess would be as the waves kind of crashed over, he could feel the spray and the mist coming off the tops of those waves, hitting him in the face and stinging his face. You know, he can see, you know, his clothes and all the disciples being blown out and his beard and hair. He, he can see all of these things. And when he saw it, in that moment, he became overwhelmed by what he was seeing, this, this, this wind, and it overcame him and he sank like a rock. If I could be even more specific, Peter's problems arose when his focus upon Jesus was replaced with a fear of the driving wind. That's about as specific as I can get. He, he's, his problems arose, everything was fine, until his focus that was on Jesus got replaced with the fear of the driving wind. I would say it even more simply, Peter looked down. That's what he did. He looked down, I was looking right at Jesus and we were fine, and then I looked down, I took my eyes off Jesus. You know, those of you that know me really well, you, you know that I do not like heights. Anybody else don't like heights around here? Not a fan. It's not a paralyzing fear, but I just really don't like heights. You get me on a six-foot ladder, I am A-okay, no problem at all. Get me much higher than that six-foot ladder, well, you know, the, the situation changes a little bit. I don't know, but I'm not afraid to admit that. I'll flat out tell you. I see guys in this room climb up these ladders and change out these lights and fool around with them, and I'm like, how do you guys do that? There's no way I could do that, but it, it doesn't even bother them. I don't like heights at all. Here's the problem. When I get high up on a ladder, and I'm not really feeling like all things are stable, I start to think things. I start to think things like this. I wonder if this ladder can hold me this high up. Anybody have that thought? I, I was like, hey, I wonder if there's a uh, manufactured defect in this ladder I don't know about. I'm going to discover way up high. I wonder if the foundation that this ladder is on, if it's as sturdy as I think. I mean, all these things start going through my mind. Um, I, I start to think, uh, you know, this ladder, I could get up there and it could get top heavy. I'm, this thing may flip on me. I start to play in my mind every YouTube video that I've ever seen of anyone falling off of a ladder, you know? And I'm going, I don't, I don't want to have one of those moments. I, I look around and I see all the dangers. I, you know, if I fell from this high, I'd break an arm. No, you know what? I'd break my neck. That's what would happen from this high. I'd be paralyzed for life. These are the thoughts that go along in my mind. I, I also think things like this. I wonder if 
COVID floats. Can I catch COVID way up here? Does it float? I mean, I think, so here, here, the reality is this. <laughs> I don't really think that when I'm up on a ladder. I'm just joking. But all kinds of things. So here, here's the thing. When I'm up on a ladder, why am I uncomfortable? I, I, you know, why am I uncomfortable? I think it's because I am thinking about everything under the sun that could possibly go wrong when I'm up that high. Why is that? It's because I'm looking down. It's because I'm looking all around. It's because I am really focused on all of these dangers that are around me instead of doing what? Instead of just being fixated on the very reason for why I'm up there, instead of staying laser focused at the job at hand, I am, I am actually fixated on everything else that could go possibly wrong. You know, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. It's this. What I fear wants to own my focus. Okay? What I fear wants to own my focus. Whatever that is in that moment, what I fear wants to own all of my attention. This past summer, my wife and my kids, we spent some time, a couple weeks out in Colorado with my wife's family and, and some friends we have out there. And we spent a lot of time just driving through the mountains. If you ever visit Colorado and you don't spend time driving through the mountains, you, have, uh, you are not exploring all there is to see, let me just tell you. We were near Uray, Colorado, if you know where that is. And uh, there's this road near there called the Million Dollar Highway, which if you've been on it, it hugs the mountain like this. Okay? And I'm okay with that. I, like I said, that's not a ladder. I feel secure on that thing. But it really is. It's kind of like the drop-off right there. So we pull off, on this, pull off on that road. There's this place where there's a scenic overlook. My wife and I enjoy scenic overlooks. When we travel, we like to take in the scenery. And so we're there. And let me paint this picture for you. We're looking out, and there's mountains everywhere. Snow-capped mountains. There's, it's beautiful. Um, you look, peer off the edge, and, and it kind of goes off into nothingness for hundreds of feet. But down at the bottom, there's this river that flows to the bottom. I mean, it's just, it picturesque. And on this particular um, scenic lookout, somebody had built a platform that is a, it's like a, a gangway. It's a ramp that goes like 15 or 20 feet out over Nothing out over death. And, and my wife's like, let's go out there and take our picture. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. Listen, I can handle these situations. I'm not a baby. I mean, not all the time, but I mean, I can handle these kinds of, and I said, let's go. We can do this. And we start to walk out of this platform. Here's the problem. It was made out of that graded steel stuff. You, you know, the stuff that you can just look right down to your death. All right, you can look right down into nothing, and so I'm like, I don't, you know, honey, I'm really good. I, I got the view, and she goes, No, come on, this would be great. We'll go take this picture out there. Let, let me show you this thing. This is the thing right here. Let me show you a picture. That's that thing, okay? And you can see this is a beautiful place, and that platform. That's me at the end. I did go. I'm not going to show you the close-up pictures because it's obvious I'm not having a good time. And so we go out there, and my wife's like, just don't look down. You're fine. I'm good. And so we walk out there. Of course, what do I do? I look down, right? And I look down. And like all those thoughts, like when I'm high on the ladder, when I'm somewhere else that I don't like, uh, these other thoughts start coming into my mind. And those thoughts are like this. I wonder how old this platform is. These thoughts go through my mind. 
how often does somebody with a name tag come out here and check this thing? I mean, are we sure this thing is as solid as it appears? And then I think, I wonder who built this? How long is it, how, how, who built this? And then I'm sitting there going, I'm confident it was built by the lowest bidder. You know it had to be the lowest bidder built this thing. And then I think, you know, what if this steel is fatigued? What if this isn't the best stuff they could have? What if this is the same stuff they built the Titanic out of? And we all know what happened there. What, what if this is that stuff? And I think, you know, this thing, we're out here suspended over nothing. This could fall right off the side of the mountain. Uh, these are thoughts that go through my mind. And again, what, what's going on in that moment for me? Because I've thought a lot about these kind of moments in my life. In these moments, I tend to get more fixated on all the things that could go wrong, all the potential dangers that are around, instead of just looking up and looking out at all this wonderful stuff that reminds me of just how big and how awesome that God really is. We did manage, like I said, to get a few pictures and it turned out okay. But listen, I come back to this idea. What I fear wants to own my focus. What I fear wants to own the moment. What I fear wants to dominate everything else. During this same trip, we went whitewater rafting. Do you enjoy doing that? Not scared of the water, love the water. Went whitewater rafting and we're, uh, we're up in the mountains of Colorado. It's just absolutely beautiful. And we get a few miles down the trip and our, our raft guide goes, hey, there's a great place to do some cliff jumping out here. Who's in? And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And, uh, and so we pull off to where this cliff jump is and, uh, and my brother-in-law goes, he's, his name's Jason. He goes, I'll go. And then my son, Neil, he's like, I want to jump. And then he looks at me, dad, are you coming? And in a rare moment of confidence around high things, I said, yeah, let's go jump. Because when I was standing at the bottom looking up, it was, it was a little over 30 feet in the air. I go, that doesn't look too high. Have you ever stood on the bottom and looked up at like a diving board and go, that doesn't look too high. So then we climbed the cliff and we got all the way to the top and I was feeling fairly confident. I was feeling so confident um, because I, I love the water. I'm not afraid to swim. I, I, I like stuff. I was feeling so confident, I volunteered to go first. And as we're climbing up, my wife goes, hey, don't look down. She knows me well. And I get up to the edge, and what seemed like it wasn't that high down on the ground, standing up on top of that, looking down at the water, it might as well have been a thousand feet in the air. It, I'm like, I ain't jumping. Are you nuts? Do you know what can go wrong from a jump this high? There is no way I am jumping off of here. And I'm like, I am out. And I said, I will see you guys at the bottom and I'm going to climb down. And off I went. I'm going, I thought about it. What changed in that moment? Because nothing about the environment changed. The, the, the level of the water didn't change. The height of the cliff didn't change. None of that changed. I can tell you what changed. My focus changed. My perspective changed. It went from having a great experience with my family to this fear that dominated that moment and I was not going to jump. Can I tell you something, friends? Uh, whatever you fear will want to own your focus. It will want to dominate the moment. It wants to win the day. And what happened to Peter out there on the Sea of Galilee that day? We, there's this wind, there's this storm, and those things absolutely won the moment. They grabbed his focus. And if you think right before that, what was happening? He was having this just awesome moment with Jesus. 
I mean, everything was in sync up to that moment. Here he was, the only disciple who had the faith and trust in Jesus to walk out on top of the water. You might say that this moment right here was one of the most synced up moments that Peter ever had with Jesus. I mean, everything was good. They were on the same page. Until he looked down. He looked down. He took his eyes off Jesus and you know what happened. You know, in Matthew chapter 14, I see a very clear example that while Peter's eyes were squarely focused on Jesus, he was actually empowered to walk on water. But when his focus shifted to the wind and the waves, his fear in that moment shattered his ability to receive God's sustaining power. And you know, whenever Jesus calls someone out of the boat to take a step of faith, he will give you the power to walk on water. He will give you the power. Jesus is not going to call you to step out on faith and then refuse to give you the strength to walk. That's not how the Lord works. If he calls you out, he's going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. It's all the other things that want to rob that moment. It's the other things that want to get your eyes off of Jesus and, and to be fearful of the things. And I'll tell you, there's these moments where, where, in, in, where Jesus calls us to step out of faith and we are about to have a triumphant moment. But then fear robs us of it. You know, there's a lot of really great examples of this very thing in Scripture, not just Peter out on the water. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, and you think back to the earliest days of, of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. He rescued them out of Egypt and, and he said, I'm going to give you your own land. And this is going to be a great land. We call it the promised land. And this is the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's going it's to be this great situation. Me as your God, you as my people. There's only one stipulation. God just laid one stipulation. Hey, you've got to keep your eyes on me. Hey, don't let your eyes wander to what all these other nations are doing. It's going to be me. It's going to be you. You eyes straight forward. If you keep your eyes on me, everything's going to be great. In fact, if you read the first two commandments of the 10, they very much dial into this kind of thinking. What's the very first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty much eyes straight ahead kind of commandment. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourself an idol and bow down to it. Simply put, simply put, God is saying, you stay focused on me. I'm focused on you. You keep your eyes on me and everything is going to be just fine. So what happened? They get up to the edge of the promised land and Moses, who is their leader, he sends out 12 scouts. Some translations say 12 spies. They go in to spy out the entire land and they come back. And these 12 men, 10 of them said, we can't do it. What did they see when they went out? All the confidence in the world. They just, they passed through the, the Red Sea on dry ground. They've seen God do great things, but they get to this moment. And you know what they said about the people in the promised land? Said, we, those people are giants. We're little bugs to them. They are giants. We can't do it. Let's go home. What happened? They took their eyes off the, they took their eyes off the Lord and they started to look at all the things that could go wrong. They said, we can't do it. But then there were two of them. See, 10 of them were like that, but two. Do you remember the names? Joshua 
and Caleb? They said, no, 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 we should right now go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Ten said, no way. Ten were just like Peter out there in the water. They saw the wind and the waves cry. They said, can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, let's keep our eyes on the Lord. His promises are true. He's seen us this far. We're going to go farther. Let's go. All 12 saw the same land. They faced the same situation, reached completely different conclusions. What was the result? Only Joshua and Caleb, the two that were laser focused on the Lord, were eventually allowed to settle in the promised land and enjoy the milk and honey and all the the wonderful things that came with that. Those 10 that said we can't do it, that took their eyes off the Lord and and let fear dominate that moment, they never got to enjoy it. And so did a lot of other people. You know, also in the Old Testament, we read about this young shepherd boy named David who one day brought some supplies to his brothers, his older brothers who were fighting in the army. And he went up to the front lines where they were at and he sees that the troops are paralyzed in fear. Why? Because some giant of the other side of the enemy named Goliath, they were so terrified of him uh, that he'd come out and taunt them every day. I've thought about this. If, If Goliath was alive today, do you know what his profession would be? There is no doubt he would be a professional wrestler. What a great character. Can you imagine this guy? He would be in the WWF. He'd be World Federation wrestler. That's exactly what he'd be. So David takes one look at this giant and he looks at all the Israelites who are cowering in fear. David, this little shepherd boy, takes one look at him, focused on God, and he's like, I'm charging that dude with a slingshot. And what was going through David's mind? Well, we actually know. Because right before he went after Goliath, He has a conversation with the king of the Israelites, King Saul. And you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, listen to what David says to the king right before he charges after Goliath. He said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, can you imagine... Can you imagine that moment for David? I have one of these critters, these, these monsters try to steal my dad's sheep. I, I killed it with my bare hands. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, that just means this guy who's not a part of God's people, he will be like them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Do you hear the singular focus in young David's words? Everyone else is terrified. They're paralyzed by fear. It's it's taken their focus off why we're here. But this young man's eyes were completely fixed on the Lord. So David goes out to fight this beast of a man named Goliath. And as David is walking out to meet Goliath, he's kind of like, you know, and Goliath's making fun of him the whole way out there. And we get another glimpse of what's going on in David's mind, because this is the conversation he has with Goliath right before this battle. He said to this Philistine, verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but listen to his words, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. 
This is a man that's literally taking steps of faith, walking out to face this giant of a man that the whole army is afraid of. And what does he say? This isn't about weapons. This isn't about size. This isn't about brute strength. This is about the Lord. I'm coming after you in the name of the Lord. Friends, this is like walking and you're not worried about anything else that's going around. My eyes are on Jesus and that's where my power comes from. Listen to what else he says. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. This is why we send kids downstairs for the children's ministry. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Now, friends, imagine your own steps of faith today. Those defining moments Okay? Those defining moments in a person's life, and we all have them, when, when the Lord says to us, you need to come out here and walk with me. These defining moments where simply trusting God, that is the distinguishing marker of whatever action we're going to take. Can you imagine when we take these steps of faith, these defining moments, and our focus has these words attached to it, I come in the name of the Lord Almighty. What if these words were attached to our steps of faith? This day, the Lord will deliver. Can you imagine? Your next step of faith is like everyone will know that this step I'm taking is the Lord's doing, not mine. You see, in these examples that we've studied today, the storm on the water and, and the spy scouting out the land and David and Goliath, I mean, you think about those things. They all scouted the same promised land, faced the same enemies, faced the same storm. But some responded with great focus. Others responded with tremendous fear. Some lost heart and others took heart. The bottom line is, don't look down. Keep your eyes on the Lord because what you fear will want to be the owner of all your focus. You know, back at that cliff I was telling you about there, that 30 foot something high cliff that I didn't want to jump off of, you know what I didn't tell you? Is that I started to climb down that cliff and I kind of had a change of heart. I don't know exactly where it came from. I, I don't know if it's because I just watched my son jump and I didn't want to be a whip in front of my son. I don't know. But something changed inside of me in that moment. I started to ask myself some other kind of questions. Instead of all the things that went, could go wrong, I began to ask some of these questions. Is this fear really something I should be afraid of? Is this jump? I mean, I know how to swim. I mean, I'm a really good swimmer. I know the water down below. I know it's really deep. I am wearing a life jacket. So if something happens, I am just going to pop up to the top of the water, whether I want to or not. There are 15 people down there. I'm sure one of them would grab me if I needed their help. 
In that moment, I can tell you that my focus started to change. I started to think about, what am I going to let this fear keep me from doing? I'm going to let this fear keep me from, from flying through the air. I'm going to let this fear keep me from hopefully one day being a great story. And so I changed my mind. I walked back up to the ledge and I took a leap of faith and jumped. And just to prove it to you, I'll show you the picture. Here it is right here. That's me. You didn't know fat clergy could fly, did you? We can. I'm proving it to you right there. But friends, I hope you know, we're not really talking about cliff jumping today. And, and, and we're not talking about platforms that go out hundreds of feet off the ground. And we're not talking about being high on a ladder. That's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what is holding you back from taking some of the greatest steps of faith and trusting the Lord like you've never done before. That's really what we're talking about. And you know, in that moment when Peter sank down the water and Jesus had to rescue him, Jesus asked Peter a really significant question. And in fact, I think Jesus is challenging Peter's faltering faith with a very significant question. And it's a question that I think every single one of us in this room has got to wrestle with. What did he say to Peter? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me? Why, why did you doubt? I mean, here we are, we're walking on water together. You have every reason to know that you're going to be just fine. Why did you doubt? You know, that word doubt is translated in verse 31. It literally means to turn irresolutely in two directions. That's what doubt means. Doubt means to waver. Why were you pulled in two different directions, Peter? Why did you waver, Peter? And I think that this question, why did you doubt, it really pinpoints Peter's problem in that moment. Because in that moment on the water, he lost his single-minded focus on Jesus. Those ten spies in the Old Testament lost their single-minded focus on the Lord. The Israelite army facing Goliath, they lost their single-minded focus on the Lord. Peter lost in that moment. Fear stole the focus on the Lord. And I wonder, friends, why do you doubt? Is it because whatever we fear wants to steal and own your focus. So what are these steps of faith? And I can't answer these for you, but what steps of faith right now is the Lord put right in front of you where fear wants to steal the moment? Maybe the step of faith for you is simply to finally decide, I'm ready to follow Jesus. You know, I've got all these fears around me that maybe, you know, what will people think of me? And, and can I do this? And can, you know, am I good enough, friends? You'll never be good enough to be a Christian. That's why we have grace and God's forgiveness. Is your step of faith to simply follow? Is your step of faith maybe something else? Maybe your step of faith is to reconcile a relationship. You know you need to walk out in faith, but you're looking around, there's a lot of fear going, well, what if they don't receive it? What if they slam the door in my face? You know, this is like the 80th time I've tried this. What is your step of faith? 
your focus on the Lord? Is your step of faith maybe to finally share the good news with somebody? Maybe you've never had a spiritual conversation with a lost person in your life, and you're like, I can't do that. I don't know the Bible. I don't know chapter and verse. I don't know what to say. Maybe your step of faith is, I'm just going to trust you, Lord, and I'm going to going to be open about my faith. Maybe it's a step of faith to for you say, God, I'm going to allow you to use me to serve in the ministry somehow. Lord, I got something to offer. I want to, I want to do something that's got your name on it, but I'm, I'm afraid to just put myself out there. Maybe your step of faith right today is to say, God, I'm all yours. I want to do something for you. Maybe it's a step of faith to lead a life group. Or lead out in some other ministry adventure. Maybe you just held back for a long times, like, I don't know. And, and maybe that fear is just this doubt that's come over you. I don't know if I got what it takes or whatever. Maybe your step of faith is to step out and lead. Is it a step of faith to quit your job and pursue a calling? Maybe that's your step of faith. Is it a step of faith to, become, to, to start becoming a generous person in tithing? Say, Lord, I know what your word says. It says, test me in this. You can't outgive me and, and, and test me in this and I will open the floodgates for you. I've just been too scared to do it. Maybe your step of faith is that. Is it a step of faith to speak up and interject at the right time in the right situation? Maybe you're in, you're in a circle of friends or at work and, and you're like, somebody needs to bring Jesus into this conversation and maybe it's me. I'm gonna say, focus on Jesus when I do it. Is a step of faith to become a foster parent or adopt someone? I got a lot of love to give. Maybe that's your step of faith. It's a step of faith to launch a nonprofit, something that's got the Lord's name attached to it. I don't know all the details, Lord, but this needs to happen, and, and you put this on my heart to do it, and I'm going to go. Is it a step of faith? Maybe. Some of you are like, my step of faith is just to simply keep going. My step of faith is to get out of bed in the morning, say a prayer, and keep my eyes on you. And that's about, that's my step of faith. You know, whatever it is, whatever the Lord has put in front of you, success in it may very well be determined by you keeping a single-minded focus on Jesus. You see all the wind and the waves and everything else, friends? The last time I checked, there's about a million and a half things in our world today that are vying for that allegiance in your life. You can't walk out these doors today without having something trying to steal your focus. You know what I love about Peter? His life was marked by triumphs and failures. And I think our lives are the same way. I am thankful, and I know you are thankful, that we have a God that extends mercy and grace to us. I'm a God who sometimes allows multiple choices, as I talked about here a while back. I'm, I'm glad that, that we serve a Lord, that even when we step out on faith and take our eyes off Him, He's right there to grab us and pull us back up and say, get back in the boat. Dust yourself off, dry yourself, let, let's try this again. I, I'm thankful we have a God who's like, I'm thankful that in those moments where we did not step out on faith because we were too afraid, God said, I understand, but you're gonna go again. I'm thankful that God doesn't discard us when we make mistakes. I'm thankful that we really do serve a, a heavenly father who cares more about where we're going, our next step, than the previous ones we failed to take. I'm thankful we serve a God like that.
Friends, I don't know what the Lord's put right in front of you, but I do believe he wants you to take it. If it's got his name attached to it, and he's put this calling on your heart, keep your eyes on him, take a step, trust, and enter in what is possibly the most triumphant moment, in sync moment, step of faith with our Heavenly Father you've ever taken in your life. Can I pray for you? Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for your holy word and how, Lord, it, it brings to our mind um, things. Lord, it, it inspires and convicts all at the same time. And Lord, as this, this, this moment in Scripture we've been studying these few weeks, I pray, Lord, you use what happened to Peter as a teaching moment for us. Lord, I pray you help us find the parallels in our life. Lord, I pray that as we step out in faith and we start to walk with you, that, Lord, help us to keep a singular focus on your son, Jesus. That, Lord, we, our confidence would be in coming in the power of the Lord. That our confidence would be that the people are going to see you, Lord, in what we do. That, Lord, there is no challenge too big that we cannot meet with you out in front, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on you through everything this world throws at us. In Jesus' name, amen.